0: Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 318.
1: Uh, Transactional means I pay you to do a job, and you better do the job for me, period. Transformational means I'm paying you, you're working for me, but we're going to make life better for both of us by doing it together. You know, you're going to do a better job and the organization will do better, and then we're going to pay you more and we're going to help you more and give you better benefits. And then it's transformational. We transform the relationship back and forth instead of transactional.
0: Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatori in and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a Restaurant Unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you got to do is click click the tipsy banner in the show notes. Get on it. Are you opening a restaurant and stressing out with where to start? Or perhaps you've already opened your restaurant and you're finding yourself completely overwhelmed with the day-to-day task that only you know how to do. If you feel this way, I've got good news. You don't have to do it alone, nor should you regain control of your business and your life with restaurants owner.com and if you go to restaurant owner.com slash unstoppable you will get a 10 day pass for only one dollar get on it with excitement allow me to introduce to you back on the show tom walter tom are you feeling unstoppable today my man
1: yeah, I'm feeding off of your energy this morning,
0: Eric. <laughs> well, three cups of coffee will do that. So uh, let's just give the listeners a quick aerial view of who you are. And if you guys haven't listened to episode 107, that was the first time Tom was on the show. And it was an incredible interview. I just listened to it uh, to prepare for this interview. And today we're going to be talking about Tom's book, uh, It's My Company 2, which is a must read. But just real quick, Tom Walter is a serial entrepreneur, author, speaker, writer principal in numerous companies. He is best known as the chief culture officer at Chicago's Tasty Catering, a suburban corporate caterer and event planner that was recently named a Forbes best small company in America. Obviously, this is just scraping the surface of who you are and what you've accomplished. Uh, But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. Take it away, Tom.
1: Yeah, my favorite uh, my favorite quote or my inspirational motivational quote recently has been from Mary Parker Follett, who was called the mother of modern management. And in 1925, she wrote a treat seer, an essay that was uh, just stunning. And then at the, she said, and I'm going to uh, shorten this, and it's not a direct quote, but uh, the, it's not how much power a leader has, it's how much power he the leader transfers to the people that he's responsible for. And a leader's greatest responsibility is to develop other leaders. And uh, that is something now that's central in my mind, central in my focus. And uh, I think about that every single day, that quote.
0: Oh, yes. I love it. What a great way to get started. And I'm sure this whole concept of making your purpose about developing other people and enabling other people is going to come back up during today's conversation. But let's just start with the story. Uh, and I love the story that you shared in the beginning of your book with Hugo and Steven. So why don't you start there? And I, th- I think that will really help paint the picture about what your book, it's It's My Company Too, is really all about.
1: Yeah, it was a, um, the result of this conversation was the name of the book. And we had a young man, his name was Hugo Tellos Rios, and he uh, was adrift in the sea down in uh, the south. I believe he was from Texas. And his parents uh, tragically were killed. And his cousins brought him up to work in Chicago, and his cousins worked with Tasty Catering. And he came in as a young 18- or 19-year-old young man and... Uh, you could tell that he just wanted family, he just wanted security, he just wanted a place to be somebody, to be a, you know, to have a sense of purpose. And he instantly became part of the team because he followed our core values very specifically, very directly. And, but there's always a caste system in every organization, as much as you try to eliminate it. And Hugo is an entry-level culinary and was probably at the low end of the, of the pecking order of or the caste system. And at the upper end, we had a part-time or a seasonal college worker named Stephen who was loading trucks for outdoor events. We do about 350 outdoor events in the summertime and hire seasonal high school and college students. And other people come in and work for those events. And uh, as you grow in tasty catering, you grow in stature. Or if you don't grow, we don't keep invite you back. But this uh, Stephen had worked for us for about four years and had risen to the rank of a crew leader. And he was uh, supervising high school students loading trucks, and it was a very hot August day. And uh, I happened to be in the warehouse to pay for beer, because in Illinois you have to pay for beer, you can't charge it. So I walked in the back to pay the beer driver, and I overheard Stephen yelling at his crew. Well, we don't permit yelling in our organization, because it creates an amygdala hijack. It uh, captures people's thinking ability and turns them into emotional reactors. So as I wandered my way to the front of the warehouse where the uh, loading docks were to see what was, uh, what was causing this outburst, I saw Hugo in front of me walking towards the situation. But it happened to be on the way to his time clock. He was going to punch out and go home. But he walked up to this college kid and he said, hey, number two, and our second core value is treat all with respect. And our employees are taught that uh, if someone's violating the core values, just mention the number. And he said, is this number two? And the college student looked up and saw, you know, realized that he was not treating his employees with respect. And if he would have snapped back at Hugo, I would have terminated him on the spot because when you're wrong, you're supposed to promptly admit it. Instead of snapping back, he promptly admitted that he was wrong and he apologized to Hugo and he turned around and apologized to his staff and he said, the mistake was mine. Please unload the trucks and we'll start over again. It was my fault. I didn't give you the proper directions. So I rounded the corner to catch up to Hugo and I folded a $20 bill in my hand. It's the Chicago handshake. You want a good parking spot or a good table, you always keep a $20 (laughs) bill in your hand. And I shook shook hugo's hand and i said thank you hugo and he looked at the twenty dollar bill he gave it back to me and he said it's my company too and that's the name of the book and at that point every time i tell the story i get chills up and down my spine because in all the years um, the previous 30 some years 35 38 years i had never ever had an employee consider the company was his It told me it's my company too so that meant that we had taken employee engagement down to that level of employee entanglement where employees just feel it's their organization and they protect it.
0: Yeah. Really dive into that definition of what an entangled employee is.
1: Well, one of our co authors, I have two co authors, and I'm proud to say that I was affiliated with Dr. Ken Thompson. Um, Dr. Ken Thompson is a professor at DePaul University and and very well known in the academic community. has written several academic books. And he was the lead author. And Dr. Ray Benedetto, who did his doctoral dissertation on tasty catering after retiring from the Air Force. And we had a young creative writer working at tasty catering. And she was a seasonal student until she graduated. And her name was Molly Meyer. And we asked Molly, to help write with us, and Molly was just a brilliant creative writer, and it started with us at 15 and about 21 years old. She told me that her secret dream was that she wanted to write a book, and she said only her best friend knew that. But I had asked her what her personal vision was, and she says, Tom, I want to be an author, and I said, well, so do I. Let's write a book. And then we recruited Ken Thompson and Ray Benedetto to help do the academic research so it could be used as an evidence-based research book in universities, and it's the truth. I was looking for the truth. Why do small companies, why are some small companies so successful? Is it the leader? Is it the systems and processes? Is it the human capital? Is it the culture? What is it? And uh, Molly came up with a, with a brilliant statement. She said, it seems that the companies that we've selected share one common theme. Their employee engagement is so high, their employees are entangled. They're like an octopus. or like a knot. Everything is woven into the fabric of the the organization and it's all the employees who are woven into the fa- fabric and the employees have become the driving force for the organization not just the leader and in all these companies it was the leaders who were supporting the employees but it was the employees that were leading the processes so it was molly that came up with this idea of an entanglement an entangled organization so it's beyond employee engagement to employee entanglement and um Molly likened it to this, and this statement is in the book. Molly was a, a very successful high school athlete. She had won, she'd been named All State Softball Player in Illinois a couple of years in a row, and then became All League in college. She went to uh, Dayton University, and she was a fabulous softball player. And she said, This statement she said, An engaged employee is like a collegiate player. But an entangled employee is like an Olympic player where their whole life is dedicated to becoming better and making their team better and going for the ultimate prize. In college athletes, they spend time training year-round, but they also have school to attend and other things. So she said her thought was that over 90% employee engagement were really entangled companies. And uh, the the evidence-based research proved that there was a direct but there was an outcome of financial performance that followed the engagement graph. So as employee engagement crept from 40, 50, 60, 70, as it crept up the charts, so did financial profitability, financial performance. So I credit that uh, entanglement and uh, that, uh, that phrase about a college versus an a- uh, Olympic athlete, tamale. I might be wrong, but that's my memory.
0: So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try to summarize up to this point, and essentially, in a, an entangled employee is somebody who treats the business like they own it, and an entangled company is a, a company filled with employees that are basically driving the company, running the company, and its leaders exist to enable those employees to do their job.
1: Correct. It's a it. It actually, I think, in academic terms, it becomes distributive leadership, where you distribute leadership throughout the whole organization and create leaders. And everybody's a leader when they go to work, but why, once they walk in the door and they punch a clock or they sit at their desk, why do they have to instantly become a follower? Why not continue using their leadership talents? And that's what we look for. Awesome.
0: So I, I want to really lean into this idea of, you know, st- Starting from a place where you might not be in an organization that's entangled. And how do you get from a, a, a good, okay company to an entangled, great company?
1: Um, my recommendation when I speak for when I'm asked that question is to look for companies that have won best places to work. Uh, especially... Contests or awards that use employee engagement studies because they have surveyed their employees and found out their employee engagement was high and therefore they win these awards. Another one is the American Psychological Association's Psychologically Healthiest Workplace. And the states have each state has a psychologically healthiest workplace award, and that means the people that work in those organizations are happy, happy people. Well, if you're a sociopath or a pathological liar or a psychopath, you don't want to be in a happy company. You want to go find someplace where you can be miserable because then you feel content. But uh, if you search, there, there's so many different ones. The are best places to work, Forbes' best small workplaces, uh, Inc. Magazine's had best workplaces. All of these awards, there's some reason why they won those awards, and it's not just because they're fancy writers, it's because the truth exists. Uh, those companies are good. And then if you're gonna spend the majority of your waking life at work, why not be happy?
0: Okay, so uh, the question was how do you go from okay to a great company, and is, am I hearing go work for one first?
1: I would, if, if you're a business owner, it's different, but if you're an employee, if you're fresh out of college, yes, go work for a great company. And Because then, I'm sure everybody and in your, in your listeners are familiar with Abraham, Abraham Maslow, and Maslow said you can't reach self-actualization, your highest performance level, unless you reach self-esteem and security and you feel the love, belonging, you have to go through each level of his triangle, and if you're never happy, you're never going to reach self-actualization, then you're going to become miserable, your performance will suffer. So, you have to find a place where you meet your physiological needs, your security, your love and belonging, self esteem, and then you can reach self actualization.
0: Okay. So, I agree with you 100%. I always tell people who are looking to open a restaurant, I'm like, well, what kind of experience do you have working in the industry? Go spend at least five years uh, developing yourself, becoming a person of value, learning as many pieces of knowledge as you, you can learn, and then go try to open your own place. Uh but what if somebody made the mistake the mistake of not going through those steps? They already got the loan. They already have a down payment on the space. Like they they they're opening next month, or maybe they already opened like a year ago and they're just not where they want to be. How do we transform our companies? What what advice do you have to to transform? Maybe just go visit one of these places? Is that what you're suggesting? Well
1: you could go visit one of the simplest you know I look back at I've opened I don't know, probably 18, 15 to 20 hospitality based businesses, restaurants, nightclubs, bars, et cetera. And I looked back before I, before 2005, I looked back and I thought of my favorite operations, w- which ones did I feel the happiest to go work every day? And the happiest by far was was a nightclub bar I had by Loy- Loyola University in Chicago. And I had wonderful employees. We all got along together. There was a no theft, very little theft. i had hired spotters to watch the bartenders. But people came in to work with smiles on their faces, and they left at the end of the night with smiles on their faces. So that was the culture. We had happened to hire all good people, not just great bartenders, but great people. I look back at the losses, the first loss I had, I lost a million dollars in 1977, which is a considerable sum back then, considerable sum now. But it was because I was filled, my my staffing was filled with thieves. I had uh, the great bartenders and great chefs, but they were great thieves. And so our shrinkage was incredible. So... You know, I wasn't smart enough until 2005 when two employees confronted me about our culture. I wasn't smart enough to understand my success was based on human interaction and my failure was based on human interaction. All the systems and processes don't work if the human beings aren't engaged. So my suggestion would be focus on the culture. When you're hiring, hire slowly and fire fast. Hire skilled people, you know, screen people for their skill, but hire for their culture and what makes what's important to them
0: awesome and uh, in the the back of the book like the, one of the very last uh, things you have written is a, a summary the the synergism of magnetism of entangled cultures and uh, one thing you mentioned the first bullet you have there is strive to become extraordinary leaders uh, is it safe to say that before you can uh, attract onto yourself these incredible people hiring for great people you need to first become great yourself? I-
1: well, yes, and I think uh, the first chapter is about Jack Stack, a man who took a company that was failing to a company that's worth almost a billion dollars today and created many millionaires from his employees. And the subtitle for that guy is uh, he's, he's an uh, extraordinary leader, but it's not really extraordinary. He's an extraordinary leader. Mm. He's He's just a good guy. He's a normal guy. He's not... But he is one of the best leaders I've ever met in my life because he thinks of the little things. Like when he started this company, he realized, or when he went, moved from Chicago to this company in Springfield, Missouri, he decided that uh, it was too hot, so he brought in fans. I mean, that's just an extraordinary man. He's an ordinary man, but he's got extra thoughts. And everything that he did to transform that company, was, it was nothing scientific. It was nothing earth-shattering. He just thought about being the common guy on the floor. He's a shop worker at heart, and he said, you know, they need refrigerators for their sodas, so they have cold soda at lunch. So, yes, if you want to, in my opinion, and based on this evidence-based research book, if you want to have a stellar company, it starts from the top. It starts from the leader, and the leader has to define what their own personal core values are. For example, I will never violate my core values, and I'm moral, ethical, legal. I treat all with respect. You know, I'm competitive, right on down the list. And our employee core values are almost identically the same, though I was not permitted to create those. So no matter what situation I'm in, I will be moral, ethical, and legal. So then I can be authentic leader. And it, authentic leader is the type of leader that's accepted by employees because, sure, I'm hotheaded, and sometimes I blow up, but I apologize. And sometimes I make mistakes, and I apologize. I'm human, but I'm always treating people with respect. So there's a a lot of controversy about uh, servant leadership, autocratic leadership, all these different forms of leadership. But I think the most significant one in the hospitality industry is being authentic, because then your employees know who you are. They know that you're a human being, you're vulnerable. Here's another thought about leadership is that the first thing a leader has to do is earn respect, and uh, the respect is owned by employees. The second level is to earn trust. And you can't earn trust until you're vulnerable because no one wants to work for a boss that's always right. So, But they like working for leaders that are, make mistakes but apologize, and they're vulnerable. You can't have trust until you have intimacy. So... You need to care for your employees. You need to be intimate with them, and not in a physical way, obviously, but in an emotional way. You need to understand how many children they have, who their significant other is, whatever it may be, what exterior forces exist within their minds when they're working with you. So that emotional that emotional intimacy leads to building trust with employees. And at that point, you reach emotional commitment. And employee engagement is simply the emotional commitment an employee has to an organization's values, vision, and mission, which leads to discretionary thinking, increased discretionary thinking. So the key for, for a leader in the hospitality industry is screen for people that share your values and publish them. Say, these are my core values. This is what I believe in, and I don't accept people that violate these. Do you agree or disagree? I disagree. Okay, you're a great person, but you need, we don't need to work with each other. But if they understand what your values are immediately, well, then values attract great people, and they retain great people because it's a shared value. It's an espoused behavior.
0: Man, this is awesome. I'm just going to do my best to summarize up to this point real quick. To be a great leader, you need to get that experience. You need to learn from others what greatness looks like. Then recreate that in your own business. It, it's you got to lead from the top down. Uh, so develop those core values, what matters to you. And you have to commit yourself, you have to write these values out so you can live them every day. So you have that center line to come back to. And when you develop these core values and you live them, you care for people and you get more intimate, which leads to gained trust and respect, which leads to, like we said earlier, that discretionary thinking in your company. Awesome. Uh, You also put a lot of emphasis, not on just you, but the ethical idea of an organization or having an ethical organization. So How is that idea of being a great leader and having those core values yourself different from having an ethical organization?
1: Well, part of my core values, the first core values, I'm always moral, ethical, and legal. So we defined ethics. What does ethics mean for the common person? Morality, it shifts. It could be depend on your ethnic background. It could depend on your age group. What's moral within your group at the age of 18 may not be moral at the age of 48, You know, it might be moral. What's moral before you're married may not be moral after you're married or committed. So that changes. But ethics never change. And we use Kant's version of ethics, Immanuel Kant. And he has four cohorts. The first one is, I will always tell the truth. So I will always tell the truth. And I expect all of our employees to tell the truth. And if you don't tell the truth, you'll be fired. You'll be terminated. So that's ethical behavior, the first step of ethical behavior. The second is the right to privacy, I have never gone through an employee's drawers in their desk. I've never gone through a purse. We will monitor the internet, internet, internet but we, uh, we have to do that for security purposes, for litigation purposes. But uh, what, what is theirs is theirs. It's not mine. And conversely, I expect they're going to respect my privacy. The third one is never to injure anybody. And that means physically, not only physically injured, but financially injured somebody. And that, you know, comes to the women's equality of pay. Everybody here gets paid the same amount for the same level of performance, and our bonus system is based not on gender, but on performance. Um, the majority of our leadership teams are women. So, this whole financial concern about not injuring somebody i 'm very very i 'm a big stickler about that so and the third and fourth ones are emotionally and psychologically. so, if you yell at somebody, if you make fun of somebody, if you gossip about somebody that 's emotionally or psychologically hurting them injuring them so we don 't permit gossiping in our company it 's just not permitted, and you will be written up and terminated if you 're found gossiping if you've got an issue, go directly to the person that you have an issue with, or go to the person that you re- is responsible for you. The fourth one is uh, the we believe that you have the right to an implied or explicit contract. So if I hire you, I'm entitled to your best efforts. If you work for me, you're entitled to the best pay, best performance, and best benefits we can afford. So to review, the right to tell the truth, the right to privacy, the right not to be injured, and the right to an implied or explicit contract. And that's ethics. And we all hold each other accountable to follow that.
0: Beautiful. Uh, and again, guys, it starts with you. You can't just go through the, the the motions of writing these core values down, creating these ethics in your business, just as for the sake of saying you have them, it's living them. Do, do you want to just put any emphasis on that?
1: Yes. Leaders are always watched. They're always listened to, listened, and they're always spoken about. I know I walked in here this morning and somebody made a fun of me for something that I said, and they all laughed. I said, see, everybody was listening to what I said that I did a malapropism. I said something wrong. I thought, isn't this great? I walk in the door and everybody's laughing at me. Gosh, we're going to have fun today. You know, there's no tension. There's no irritability. They're laughing at the top leader. But everybody pays attention to the leader. So if I was to do something unethical, immoral, if I was to treat somebody without respect, everybody would know about it. And my respect is gone because my employees own my respect, my employees own my trust, and I own their trust, and I own their respect. And once those lines are crossed, they're crossed forever. So, yes, managers give orders, but don't pay attention to their own orders. Leaders don't give orders. They coach and they help people uh, accomplish what they're supposed to do. So, yes, it's right, it starts at the top, and you can never violate your core values. If They're stated on the wall. They're part of the company. And a leader can never violate those. And if you do, properly admit it and apologize, but you should never do it.
0: So the other thing um, that you put a lot of emphasis, you put a whole chapter of emphasis on this topic, was uh, having a well-defined organization in the sense of uh, purpose and strategic direction. And again, th- these are all examples of things we can do in our business to create an entangled company. Do you want to ex- explain that and why that's important?
1: Yeah, there's actually 8 case studies within the book about small companies, and each one of the companies had a well-stated purpose, a direction, and a succession plan. So employees weren't thinking about where are we going? What are we going to do? How are we going to get there? Why do we exist? Every in all of these organizations, and one was a car wash, one was a uh, Third-generation construction company owned by uh, women, two sisters and a brother, but the two sisters were the controlling partners. The, a device, a diverse background of different companies who won all these major awards. But throughout all of them, the consistent theme was employee engagement, well-stated purpose, and the engagement is the result of a well-stated purpose and a vision and it's the values. Of course, the vision, the mission, the values, and the purpose. So if the employees employees that work for Tasty understand where we're going, how we're going to get there, and if I die tomorrow, who's going to replace me so they don't have to worry about, boy, Tom's really getting old. What happens if he falls over dead tomorrow? Will I have a job? And um, so you remove those traumatic thoughts from employees' minds, and they're able to then give you more discretionary thoughts. You know, our employees know it's clearly stated our core purpose is to achieve success through uh, teamwork innovation and community involvement. So we're going to become successful if we work as a team. Then if we innovate, if we come up with new companies and our employees have come up with seven new companies in the last nine years and then community involvement, we are going to become involved in our community and give back to our community.
0: Beautiful. Uh, And all these things, I mean, they tie back into that higher, that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, the first uh, you mentioned earlier was that self-actualization. And again, with these uh, listing out these organizational purposes in, in direction, people want to work for something that has direction. That they want to be a part of something greater. They want to they want to serve a greater cause. Uh, and you need to give them that outlet. You can't just expect them to find it on their own. Like you need to create something that's worth working for, and then combine it with that whole idea of being somebody who attracts greatness, like we talked about before. And then now giving them a cause to work for. That's basically how I read into that. Is that is that safe to say?
1: That's correct. Everybody, uh, everybody wants to be a winner, at least hopefully every one of our employees, but everybody wants to be a winner. And how do you help them become a winner make them feel good about who they are?
0: Yeah. And that kind of leads into the the next thing. Uh, We talk a lot about this on the show and I I don't really think we need to go too deep into it here, which is systems and processes. But before we touch on that real quick, we got to take a break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran, there's always something new to learn that never ends. (laughs) But what hasn't changed is the time you get to learn. Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy to access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want. When you want by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month, and as a restaurant's unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. Just find the Tipsy Banner in the show notes. After studying over 300 successful restaurant professionals, I've discovered that to be successful in the restaurant industry, you need skills that go far beyond knowing how to cook. All of our guest mentors are damn near experts on business operations, systems, and culture. That is not a coincidence. That is what it takes to be successful. This is exactly why I tell everyone I know who wants to open a restaurant or is in the restaurant business to get a membership to RestaurantOwner.com. For only $29 a month, you have access to over 300 templates, including business plans, checklists, forms, manuals, and procedures. In addition, you have countless resources at your fingertips. To join a community that has helped over 40,000 restaurant owners make better lives for themselves, head over to RestaurantOwner.com. Slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant's unstoppable listeners, you will get the first 10 days for only one dollar. Again, that's restaurants slash unstoppable. All right, we're back, and we're just about to talk about systems and processes. And I don't want to get too deep into it, but real quick, Tom, just explain to us how that impacts self-efficacy.
1: Brilliant. Okay. Every company has systems and processes, but does every company allow their employees to adapt them as necessary? Our employees stated they had the request for the seven core values. They came up with the values. And number six is an individual circle of discipline. And this comes from the book, Good to Great by Jim Collins. And, and again, it's a, it's a Immanuel Kant belief that total freedom exists within a rigid circle of discipline. So within 90 days, you tell us what you want to own, what system, what process, what revenue generating area, what is it that you want to own that you become the ultimate decision maker? So we have a company of 100 plus full-time employees and everybody owns something. They own a system and process. The number seven is freedom and responsibility within that circle of discipline. So for example one young lady started with us and and she was shortly out of college and she said I want to own serving catering to local hotels in the in the uh, O'Hara area uh, area. And I said okay and after about 3 weeks she came back in and she said I've surveyed the hotels and they need about $80,000 worth of uh, marketing to fully achieve what I wanted to achieve what I what I strive to achieve. And she laid out what it was and I said All right, well we have plenty of marketing and why do you want to do specific marketing? And she told me, it's a trade secret of what she did, so I'm not gonna say it publicly, but we gave her $80,000. We gave her a budget to spend $80,000 in marketing and I said, all right, you are responsible and you're free to make these decisions, but you're responsible to the company and we expect in 180 days for you to show us a return on this investment. So as you spend this money, be prepared to tell your whole team, the whole company. She came back in and she said in six months, the $80,000 has generated $220,000 in sales. (laughs) She's a hero.
0: (laughs) That's amazing.
1: And so now she's left our company and gone to one of her sister companies, which is the creative agency that sprang out of Tasty Catering that focuses only on caterers. They only do marketing for caterers all over the country. The company's name is New Fork, N-U-P-H-O-R-I-Q. And she's the business development person there because she sees how to take opportunities and make magic for both sides. So this is where someone has a system and processes they have to follow, but they're able to make adaptations. And you know, we did about 10,000 events last year, and only achieved about 100 errors that the customer realized. But there were probably 5,000 errors, Eric. But because people had the ability to make adaptations in those systems and processes, and we trusted them, only 100 made it through to the final end user. They they solved the problems as they went.
0: And you know the big takeaway for me when we were talking about this whole idea of self uh, I have trouble saying this word I don't know why self efficacy am I saying it correctly efficacy self efficacy yeah I don't know why I struggle with that but uh anyway uh the big thing I feel like we all know the, the importance of systems processes procedures and how that creates guidance uh, but a big part of that self efficacy is reaching those goals and uh, growing personally, and when you have those systems and those processes in place, then you know when the job done right what that looks like, and you've you feel like you've accomplished something. But to take it even further, uh, and what you put a lot of emphasis on just then was the idea of giving the employees the abilities to create their own systems and processes, so they have a sense of ownership, and they have the ability to make improvements. When they they giving people that sense of contribution is so powerful, uh, and that's what I feel like you really put a lot of light on. Is that, is that what you're hoping?
1: Yeah, well, yes, because the personal drive is the intrinsic drive. You know, I could tell people what to do, that's extrinsic, you know. I'm telling you what to do and then intrinsically you reject that. You fight against it. So we'd rather have it the opposite way. We'd rather have the intrinsic, the self, the inner self decide they want to do something because they figured out all the solutions. And then altruistically, for the whole organization, we achieve success. Then it's critical for the leaders to recognize and reward. Like when Peggy did that, we made a big deal. We have lunch as a family every day at 1230. And we rang the gong and we stood up and said, we'd like to make an announcement. Peggy, could you explain to us what you did with your $80,000 investment in your area? And then she stood up and told the story and got a standing ovation from her teammates. Well, don't you think others want to get a standing ovation? (laughs) I want to be recognized. (laughs) So if you yell all the time at employees, well, you want recognition. Do something wrong because then the boss will know you're still alive. But we we hire leaders and we develop leaders and we train leaders. and We found out this and Julie Huffaker, Dr. Julie Huffaker, just did her dissertation on it, and she completed it in, in November. And I read it when I was on vacation in February. She identified this distributive leadership model. Is first you define what leadership should be, allow leadership. Then you find what people are good at leading. And you give them a voice of leadership and then you give them a venue meetings or group meetings or one-on-ones with their supervisor a venue to exercise that voice you can't just say well it's open-door policy just come in and talk to me no they're not going to do that you have to create the venue for them to speak and then you give them a platform of what you know like in peggy's case the platform was she was going to work in these hotels then you stretch her you stretch push her beyond her comfortability limits to get the job done Provide a support, like building an arc. You make a wooden support underneath it and gradually replace, pull the wood out as the stone settles. And you remove the support, and instantly, now you have someone who has reached self-efficacy. They feel confident about themselves, and they can become, they reach self-actualization. They become the best they can possibly be. But it's a planned system. And the unusual thing that's happening in graduate school now, and this is good for hospitality leaders, is that they, they've discovered it doesn't do any good just to tr- train one person it's like you know the fishermen being trained rather than you teach the whole village how to fish you train people the old way was you train one person to do all the thinking and understand the theory and then go in and impudiate in the company and make the company move the new approach is to train the whole company how to lead, train the whole company how to think. And then instead of having one person leading that has just their own discretionary thoughts, you have a hundred times that making decisions for the organization. And on busy nights in a bar, a bartender might decide to jump out of his station and go help somebody else. A server may jump behind the bar, a bartender might jump out from behind the bar and help a server. You know, that's freedom and flexibility and just accomplishing the purpose.
0: Yeah, man. There's just so much more power in multiple minds when you can tap into the energy, the power of all those minds together, working towards the same goal. Why wouldn't you want to give yourself access to that resource of, like, just compounded, like, like what's the there's there's knowledge and then there's like, uh, ether or whatever they call it, which is just like that infinite knowledge of just what's possible, creativity. It's so powerful.
1: Correct, and and you know the human mind, this discretionary thinking thought is that. According to the Institute of Mental Health and Wellness and some other scientists, the average human brain has around 60,000 thoughts. So if I have 60,000 thoughts and I'm a command and control guy running 100 employees and telling them what to do, the growth of the organization is limited to how many thoughts I produce every single day. If the average person gives 6 to 8% of their thoughts back to the organization. So if I took 100 people... And I distributed the discretionary thinking through employee engagement and asked them to think solutions, find out the solutions. Is there a better system, a better process, a better way to serve people, a better way to cook the food, a better way to do something? And if they respond and they could get up to eight, 10, let's say 10 to 12% increase in discretionary thoughts or 10 to 12 percentage of their thoughts instead of six to eight, That means a quarter of a million more thoughts for tasty catering and how to benefit ourselves. And our marketplace differentiator is our culture. And this is from the employees. The employee survey said our marketplace differentiator is culture, human capital and marketing, not our food, not our beverages, not our, that's all a commodity, but our ability to work together, our ability to independently think makes us dominate the marketplace in certain areas. And that's the case where you get people to think, and people are motivated.
0: Yeah. And I, I kind of feel like we're touching on this now. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, we haven't quite gone over this. Uh, the idea of fostering individual freedom and responsibility within a culture of discipline. Um, I feel like we're kind of going over this now. Or have we not quite gotten to that level yet? Well, that
1: was the point that I mentioned about Peggy. Peggy, that's our core value number six. And Peggy glommed right onto that. And She said, all right, my individual circle of discipline is I am going, I'm in corporate sales and I'm going to sell to companies and I want to sell to hotels in the O'Hare area. And I want to bring them a service because they're closing down their, they're removing their hotel restaurant staff and, but they still want to use their conference rooms. This was in 2010 and 11 when there was a economic turndown. And she said, I want to become the caterer of choice. And this is how I want to do it. And I, I was stunned. I never thought yeah, of this. Right. I, I looked at her and I go, holy cow. I never thought of that. But when she made the $80,000 request for marketing, I was frightened. Yes. So, yes, that, that's and that also is the core value that stimulated people to come in and say, I want to start a company. I want to start a marketing company. I want to start a food manufacturing company. We're buying all these muffins. We're buying all this bread. Why don't we start our own muffin company? We start a commercial bakery that will work the hours that the catering kitchen isn't working, and we'll produce breads for other people. And I thought, oh, that's pretty smart. And then our marketing communication team says, why don't we do sell marketing to other caterers because we understand we've grown up in the market in the catering business. Why don't we form a different company and uh, we'll sell to caterers all over the United States. They have, and they're very successful. We had to buy them a building and then we had to build it out for them. And we just went through another rehab because they've grown, they've doubled in size.
0: So so I guess the, the big thing I'm interested um, in, in what we just shared with this uh, whole idea individual freedom and responsibility is how do we create the discipline? What, what's the keystone to making sure that discipline's in place to serve the, the culture or, or to serve the industry or the, 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 the organization's purpose and direction.
1: Um, it's core values. Okay. The core values provide the discipline. You're free to do whatever you want, but you must follow the core values. Yeah.
0: And I feel like another thing I I picked up from the book was the idea of when you create that uh, culture of caring, um, the discipline is, that discipline's fed by not wanting to disappoint other people.
1: Yes. Every, every employee has the choice to like their supervisor or not like them. It's up to the employee. So if you show interest in the employee and you create that intimacy and you help the employees, there's a natural, courtesy is contagious. There's a natural action to reciprocate. I want to give back to you. You know, I really like working for Eric because Eric cares about who I am. I'm important to Eric. Therefore I'm going to show Eric his trust in me is not misapplied. I'm going to produce for Eric. And so we spend we spend hours with our leaders talking about this. And then we have classes. We have TC University, an internal learning group. And we teach every employee learning in Spanish, English, and sometimes in Polish. We, we teach what it is to become a leader. Because we just, there's no such thing as being, I'm just a dishwasher. No, you're in charge of sanitation. You, know? yeah. you have other responsibilities. You're important to this company.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like the word that just keeps coming into my head is integrity. Is creating that yes. having that integrity to stick to your values, to stick to your morals that were created and that are enforced every day by top leadership. So it's you. It's up to the, the the people at the top to to live these things every day to to have that integrity. You will never get it from your people. I mean, I get so frustrated when I hear other when I hear people complain about there not being any good people. The people that are working for you are a direct image of what you do every day Exactly yes <laughs> so sir. frustrating
1: but, uh, I have terrible people, and I look at them and I think, "Well, you're a terrible leader."
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, because but you don't want to like call somebody out for being. I mean, it's, I think a lot of it's just um, a lack of values in our culture today, and a lack of integrity. And something that comes up in the, the the book often is that whole idea of transactional relationships. I feel like relationships are so are too transactional in today's business world. What do you think about that comment?
1: Well, I think you're right, and uh, transactional means I pay you to do a job, and you better do the job for me, period. Mm. Transformational means I'm paying you, you're working for me, but we're going to make life better for both of us by doing it together. Mm. You know, you're going to do a better job, and the organization will do better, and then we're going to pay you more, and we're going to help you more and give you better benefits, and then it's transformational. We transform the relationship back and forth instead of transactional. And, uh, yeah, that's that's a key importance, you know. Peter Drucker said early on, Peter Drucker was a direct disciple of uh, Mary Parker Follett, and Peter Drucker said that if you want to see problems in an organization, if you want to know where the problems are, go to your frontline-level employees, and those employees will tell you where the systems are breaking down and and what's happening. Every organizational behavior is antecedents lead to behaviors which lead to consequences. So it's A, B, C. So this is... You know, very sophisticated level, graduate level organizational behavior, very simplistic. Antecedents lead to behaviors, lead to consequences. So an antecedent in the company is this culture. So if the culture is uh, rotten, your behaviors are going to be rotten and your outcome going to be rotten. So a leader can change that by changing the culture, by enforcing values, having employees contribute to what the values are. Then the behaviors are going to be better, and then the outcome is going to be great. So an example in the book, I think it's in the book, is the person that started one of the co-founders of the creative agency, a girl named Erin, came to me one day and changed my title. She made me chief culture officer. And I said, what does this mean? And she said, well, we have our culture statement. Our culture is no longer toxic. It's positive. You're in charge of the behaviors you're in charge of making sure we follow the culture because if we do we don't need a president we don't need a ceo we'll we'll be fine we everybody knows what has to be done (laughs) and how prophetic she was 23 years old when she told me that now she's the ceo of that creative agency and she's very successful she's brilliant she basically fired me as ceo and made me chief culture officer and said (laughs) you focus on making sure we behave yeah i love it
0: and uh, just to kind of add on a couple of things that I don't feel like we really put enough emphasis on that really tie well into the whole idea of transforming is caring and giving and really being committed to the the that other person in the, in the on the other side of the transaction. And I mean, it goes both ways, but let's start from the leader going to the employee uh, is that constant gentle pressure that Denny, Myles, Denny Myers talks about, which is that you know, always be training, always be investing back into the employee to be growing the employee, to be investing in their knowledge, their, their, their happiness. And do you want to talk about just before we kind of wrap up, um, just the importance of that constant gentle pressure and that constant, uh, never ending training and uh, just trying to evolve constantly and how important that is.
1: Yes, I I think that it starts from uh, when I was young in high school. I read uh, Descartes' treatise on dualism. And Descartes said that everybody has a heart and a soul and a mind and hands. But most often employers look at the hands and they try to stimulate the hands. Where if you can capture the heart, the soul, and the mind, the hands come free. And... When you work with employees, and employees know that you're vested in the employees, they can, they can feel that. They can smell it through nonverbals, verbals. You know, I, I walk in the building every day. I walk to the back to get coffee. I walk through the whole building and the different departments, different teams, different companies. I make eye contact with everything, and I, everybody, and I say, good morning, Sincerely. And I get smiles back, good morning, Tom. And I can tell by people's eyes whether they're invested today or not. And there is a poem that I read in high school, you know, right about the time of studying Descartes and some of the other great philosophers, and the poem was from oh from a minister from the Wheat Street Baptist Church, Reverend William Borders in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and it's I am somebody. And I'm gonna hypothecate here, but it's Uh, i might be black brown white or yellow i am somebody i must be respected uh, respected never neglected never rejected for i am god's child i am somebody that's just a short version of it but everybody that works for me is somebody they all have a soul they all have loved ones they all are important and if i attack that soul if i go after that soul to capture their hearts and their minds. I know the work's going to be fine. So why as leaders do we focus so much on the financial outcome or or making sure the lunch is perfect today or the the dinner is perfect? Why not make sure your people are perfect? Your people are okay. And that's the study in the book. Leader after leader, we're more concerned about their people than they were concerned about the outcome. Mm. Obviously, the outcome is important, but it all starts with people every single day.
0: Yeah. And again, going back to that whole idea of things are just way too transactional, I mean, up to this, like until recent human history, we were small tribes. We survived if by making sure other people survived. We needed each other. We we existed for everybody else in our tribe. And that that sense of existing for others is just not around like it should be. And if you go back to those those primitive ways of thinking of just being in existence to serve other people, to 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 make it about the tribe, that those instincts of just caring for that person who's caring about you will come back and your 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 company ties will be stronger and your company like the, the people you're developing will want to grow and do amazing things and then you can invest them and your your company will grow if you take care of these people. It's the long hard way of doing things but it's the most impactful way of doing things and I mean if you're gonna get into this business do it the long hard way. Don't do it the quick and easy fast transactional way. It's just how I feel. Um
1: well said, Eric. <laughs> Absolutely correct.
0: Oh, man. You know, we've
1: lost that sense of tribe. We've oh. lost that sense of family.
0: It's crazy. Uh, this has been great, and I just want to put some emphasis on some of the things that I really loved about your book and how it was put together. Is I feel like a lot of people who are trying to put structure to their business – who are just realizing, oh crap, I don't have core values. I don't have a mission. I don't have a purpose. And my, my, you know, my plane's already flying and now we're at 30,000 feet and I got to make all these repairs and do all these things mid flight. It's scary. It's, 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 it's very intimidating and you don't have a lot of time to do it. What I love about your book is that you don't just say that there's these great companies doing these incredible things. You, you, you take, you, Excerpts from or excerpt. What's the word? or examples from their actual like yeah excerpts from their operations manual, and they list out the different the different values and the different uh just the core values and the, the 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 purposes and the missions of all these incredible companies. So you can start there. That's a good place to reference to get an idea of what it takes, what is important, what can have impact. Uh, and and you you just make it. In, you don't just say like here's a great company. You like you you lift up their skirt and you show us everything they got. Uh, and I think that's really cool uh, that you took that extra step to really list those things out and uh, it just put together really well uh, I really enjoyed this book and uh, thank you for sending me a copy of it and uh, this is a must read guys so head over to dot unstoppablecom slash 318 I'll have the links in the show notes and uh, any last thoughts before we wrap up
1: I'm so grateful that you are producing this show and, and doing the show and I only wish you were around 40 years ago when I started because there's so much to learn from your programs and thank you for continuing spreading the word, especially in our hospitality industry, the restaurant industry. Um, you know, we're a unique bunch, <laughs> you either, you either have the disease of hospitality or you don't, it's hard to survive in this world. And it's so good to hear from others that are in the industry. So thank you for hosting this program.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. And I love every second of it. So really it's, it's just, it's an honor. And, uh, before I let you go, Tom, I'm going to have you call somebody out who's one independent restaurant operator, uh, somebody you admire in this industry and believe would be a great guest mentor for us. Like you've been both times
1: um my favorite new guy in chicago is uh dimitri Sirikin Anakolin. and uh that's a mouthful isn't it I, I love pronouncing his last name it's hyphenated but he owns demos pizza he's got two operations one's in Wrigleyville. So he just—I had dinner with him a couple weeks ago, and he told me the Cubs made a fortune for him. (laughs) uh, (laughs) One's in Wrigleyville, and one's in another gentrified area of Chicago. But he brings very astute thinking. He's brilliant. He's a brilliant, well-educated guy that wants to revolutionize how people are treated in the pizza industry and how his clients are treated. So I find him very—I mean, he's so—he sends his employees to universities for seminars. I mean. That just doesn't happen. I mean, he gets it. He understands. And uh, I think he'll be a fascinating uh,
0: guest. I, I'm not even going to make an attempt at the full name. I'm just going to say, Dimitri, uh, I would love to get you on the show. Uh, and thank you for calling him out. And uh, just popped into my head. Uh, he's another member of Small Giants, I'm pretty sure, uh, which is, a, I think, an organization that should be on all of our radars. Do you want to speak to the, that membership that you're a part of or that, that organization you're a part yes.
1: of? Um, back in the eighties, uh, I started my first restaurant in 1971. But in the eighties, uh, Bo Burlingham came on the scene. He was writing for Inc. magazine, and he was writing about entrepreneurs. And uh, you know, there were no entrepreneur was a strange word in the seventies. But Bo was like my teacher. I would look forward to Inc. every month to figure out accounting for small businesses, public relations for small businesses, and Bo co-authored the book "A uh, Great Game of Business" with Jack Stack, who's the first chapter in our book. And Bo wrote the great book, Small Giants. It's absolutely fantastic. It's about companies. It's about who they are and what they do. It's not about how big they are. Companies that want to be great, not just big, but great. So they're small giants. And uh, I'm fortunate to know small giants all over the world in different countries. And we get together. We'll be in Detroit in May. I think it's the third week in May for our annual summit. But Dimitri's a small giant. And there's probably... 60 of us in the Chicagoland area. And if I go to Cincinnati or if I go to Lincoln, Nebraska, I'll have dinner or visit with some of the local small giants. But it's a great group of people that just want to build great companies and uh, are very concerned about it. And Bo recently released the book Finish Big for people that are exiting companies. What's important to exit? So Bo has been my mentor for the last 30 years or so. And But the small giants is a collection of, I think, 10 companies. Uh, one of them is Zingerman's Deli in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan and uh, Anchor Beer Company out in San Francisco about Cliff Bar, what made these companies, companies so special. And that gave me a lot of inspiration in my own life, as reading Small Giants. And then when the community started about seven years ago, I became a member.
0: Yeah, it's a really great organization. I did have Bo on the show. He's episode 309, so we talk a lot about the, the great game of business and Small Giants in that episode 309. I'll have the link in the show notes. and. Yeah, thank you for diving into detail about just that organization. And just we need more people to think like these people think, like you think, Tom. And thank you so much uh, for coming on the show and for just influencing us all to be a little bit more unstoppable. Uh, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks again for joining us.
1: <laughs> God bless you. Thank you, Eric.
0: Cheers. Whoa. That was an awesome interview. I just finished editing it and listening to it again. Man, there was just so much incredible, uplifting, positive outlooks, advice, stories. Man, Tom Walter, you're always welcome back on the show. Again, thank you so much for sharing your book with me and allowing me to share it with my audience. And where where do you start? What do you reflect on so much of what was shared with us today is actionable advice that will make our lives better. But more importantly than that, it will make the lives of other people better. And I think that's the underlining message in this book. And that whole idea of, are you engaging in transactional relationships or transformative relationships? Are you approaching people and saying, Hey, What can you do for me? Uh, Here are my expectations for you. (laughs) And here's what I'm going to pay you to do it. Or are you saying, hey, I'm going to invest in you. Because I see something special in you. you. You have what it takes. You can go places. I'm going to give you the tools, the resources, the knowledge, the attitude, the, the core values, the mentorship to help you get as far in life as possible. You know what? If I treat you good enough, if, I'm, if I give you everything I have, maybe just have appreciation for that. And when it's time for you to go to that next level, maybe you'll let me take you there. And you can we can go there together. That's transforming somebody. That's creating a relationship with impact and creating a win-win situation. I mean, that's the big lesson. If you take anything away from this interview, I hope it's that. Plus, I mean, there's just so much more to, to be taken away. But, man, it was awesome. And just a side note after you know in the, in the aftermath of this interview uh talking communicating with some people uh i connected with the small giants community uh because they have that conference coming up and i just wanted to let them know hey uh give you guys a shout out in this upcoming interview and the folks over there wanted me to make sure to let you guys know if you are interested in the small giants community in a community that's focusing on uh what we can do to be great instead of big in uh to really make an impact in the lives of the, 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 the people our, our businesses touch. If you're interested in something like that, a community like that, uh, their uh, conference is coming up, and that's uh, May 16th to 19th, and I think it's just outside of Detroit. Uh, but she wanted me to let you know uh, the woman I'm connected with over there said, Hey, Eric, uh, make sure your listeners, if they are interested, that, uh, that they can save $200 on, uh, I believe, uh, getting into that conference? If you're interested in attending that conference, if you use the uh, promotional code Partner discount code Partner, you'll save $200. And uh... so, yeah, I'm sure that will be a great conference. Just head over to RestaurantUnstoppable.com/slash-three-eighteen. I'll have the links uh, to that conference uh, along with everything else that was mentioned in today's episode. Tom's book, it's my company too, obviously, will be there as well. And like always, guys, hit me up, Eric Cacciatore on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook slash restaurant unstoppable, or shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. But the best way, the way I love my listeners connecting with me is through those one-on-one chats. Set up a free 15-minute one-on-one chat. I have banners at restaurantunstoppable.com. You'll find Those there, just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one-on-one. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me where the pain is. Maybe I know somebody who can help you. I'll be happy to make a connection. Or maybe I don't have the answer. And that's a great opportunity for me to get the answer and make a show out of it. Uh, So connect with me. I love hearing from you guys. I love uh, just getting to know my listeners. So, again, restaurantunstoppable.com slash one-on-one. That's it for today. Thank you guys so much for sticking around this long. Until next time.